show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello and welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks, trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined after a, a little hiatus for uh, some summer japery and maybe a bit of illness uh, by my drinking buddy, Leary. So what are we serving on our return today? Long time no speak. Hi, hi. I know. I know. Missed you a bit. I was not in, really. I, I was came to Wales. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> the date when we should have released the previous episode because we've it, essentially we've missed one. We skipped one. I was actually mm-hmm. with you, and we yeah. um, could have recorded one when we were up there, but we did not. We got drunk and sang Eurovision karaoke instead. A lot instead. of Eurovision karaoke, and you were coughing the entire time. So um, yeah, I'm probably going to cough today. I've still got my cough, so <clears throat> <clears throat> I will clear my throat before I tell you that I'm drinking. A beer called Full Disclosure. It's uh, brewed here in Swansea. It's a pale ale and it uses three types of hops. Galaxy, Citra and Simcoe. It's tasty. No tasting notes, but it's delish. (laughs) Very good. I've got uh, double dry hopped uh, experience Mm. on Brew by Numbers. Um, And you may have noticed we said the word hops because we are talking about hops. Let's yeah. go do the hop, um, etc. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> That's as much as I'm planning to sing this episode. I, I promise. <laughs> um, right, hops. Hops is something we have obviously spoken about before. You can't get to episode eighty something um, of a drinks podcast without having <laughs> mentioned hops. Um, we, I, I, I gave them a little bit of detail about British hops when we did the porter episode. Mm-hmm. Um, about some local Oxford ones. Um, obviously, we spoke about IPA um, and its history, and obviously everyone associates IPA with being very hoppy and whether it was kind of really there for pre- preservation or whether it was um, uh, just for flavour. And I thought it was probably about time we went into the, the specific history of hops, not just not just the beers, but what else is going on in the world of hops. So I think that's what we're going to do. Should, should we start off with a bit of um, a bit of etymology? Hop on. Always. Mm. Cheers. Cheers, dear. <laughs> so hops are the seed cones of a plant. They're not. They're not a fruit. They're not a cactus. Uh, they are the seed cones of the plant known as humulus lupulus, um, which is very satisfying to to read and say. So this was named from the great Swedish botanist Carl van Linnea or uh, Linnea or Linnaeus and he gave it that name in 1753 uh, supposedly from the Swedish for hop, humle and the species name lupulus from the medieval Latin word for hop. Um, Many people say that Pliny the Elder discovered or first named hops at least in the first century for example you will find a russian river brewery in california has a double ipa named pliny the elder there's actually quite a few you'll find lots of references to pliny being associated with hopped beers so why is that 
Um, as a reminder, Gaius Minor Plinius Caecilius Secundus uh, was a Roman author, lawyer, and military man who died in the year 79 CE. Um, he, he died in Vesuvius. Uh, one might say he was a little too curious about how that was all working and going down. He, he went towards the volcano to investigate it and thus ended his <laughs> days. Um, he's supposedly the first person to mention hops in writing in his work Naturalis Historia, uh, which was a big collection of everything he could observe. Um, he said that there was a plant called Lupus Salictarius, which is Latin for uh, Salix is the willow tree and Lupus is wolf, as you may know. So it was called Wolf of the Willows. At least he spoke about a plant called Wolf of the Willows. We don't 100% know that it was hops that he was referring to. Mm -hmm. The first person who actually said that Pliny's Lupus Salictarius um, was hops was um, uh, Leonard Fuchs. Leonard Fuchs is a 16th century Bavarian botanist, and I'm sure you would not be pronouncing his name Fuchs, F-U-C-H-S. Leonard um, Fuchs. <laughs> Leonard, Leonard Fuchs. Um, so he said that um, it was the plant that Italians called lupolo, uh, Germans hopfen, and we would call hops in a book that he had called the Historia Sturpium Commentari Insignis, or notable commentaries on the history of plants, as it would otherwise be known. In fact, um, Fuchs is what the fuchsia is named after. So if you ever struggle to spell fuchsia, because it's F-U-C-H-S-I-A, just think of Robert Fuchs. <laughs> um, <laughs> So his big thing was that he wanted to try and match up modern plants with ones that classical authors had mentioned. So he would pick through and go, oh, when they said this, they meant this plant, uh, which was our first association with uh, with Pliny uh, naming hops. There are other writers that have suggested that uh, lupolo, um, far from being derived from uh, the term that Pliny used as actually an error and it was like L um, apostrophe upolo which had come from the French for hop which is ublon um, and actually not anything to do with lupus selectarius so we don't know possible so what did Pliny actually say about lupus selectarius um, he mentions it briefly in book 21 chapter 50 um, I will I will translate from the Latin <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not personally, I found a translation. In Italy, we know only a very few of this sort of plants. Then he lists some plants. Strawberries, black briony, butcher's broom, samphire, brambles, which some call Gallic asparagus. In addition, there are wild parsnip and willow wolf, but these are really amusements rather than proper food. Um, so... When he talks about things that we wouldn't normally eat, like brambles or the toxic black bryony, um, he probably means the young shoots, because they would eat the young shoots of that, but obviously not the, the fully grown ones. Um, and in fact, in Belgium today, they still eat the shoots of hops. So I don't mm -hmm. think of eating hops. They do when they're, they're young, and they kind of cook it a bit like asparagus. Um, you find... 
people saying that um, calling the term willow wolf was because um, hops grew wild among willows like a wolf in the forest. Um, so according to Pliny, the hop grew among willows to which by twining around and choking them, it becomes as destructive as the wolf to the flock. That's actually written in a book from 1834 called Medical Botany by John Stevenson. So that's not how Pliny describes it himself. He actually, he doesn't describe it. But that's what they're kind of reasoning. Because it, it, it's true, hops do grow up on trees and they can get so heavy that they bring them down. So it's possible that that's why it was called. But we just don't know. Hmm. So there we go. Um, feel free to uh, call your hoppy drink after Pliny if you want but we don't know for certain that he did name hops for the first time I'll give you some more things that are definitely uh, in the in the records instead now um, people have been brewing beer for thousands of years we know that from our Mesopotamia episode but the use of hops is much more recent French monks in Picardy in France were the first to record hops as an ingredient in brewing in 822 CE, um, which is pretty recent compared to the origin of beer, which goes back 9,000 years. Um, Houblon, as I mentioned, is French for hops, so that's where we first see it mentioned. Organised cultivation of hops, though, didn't really begin properly until the 1100s, and that was in modern-day Germany. So Germany will probably want to claim its stake as the first real hop-producing nation, although it was gathered in France first and recorded there. Um, they recorded hops as a preservation method in the 12th century. Saint Hildegard of Bingen uh, was a German nun and composer and philosopher, and she highlighted the healing effects of hops in her book Physica Sacra when she uh, wrote that in 1150. She writes, as a result of its own bitterness, again I'm translating, um, <laughs> as a result of its own bitterness, it keeps some putrefactions from drinks to which it may be added so that they may last so much longer. So definitely in one of the earliest uses, they're picking it specifically for its preservation. Uh, what about in this country? So wild hops have grown in Britain for millennia. There's archaeological evidence dating them back to around 3000 BCE. But there's no suggestion that they were used in brewing uh, at that time at all. There is a, a 10th century burial that was discovered, an Anglo-Saxon boat uh, in 1970 near um, uh, the village of Graveney in Kent that contains the remains of hops. So there are hops buried from the 10th century, but we don't know necessarily why. So there's no suggestion that they're necessarily putting it in beer. It may have just been, it may have been medicinal maybe fragrance, some other kind of ceremony or anything, we don't really know. Uh, beer containing hops was first documented in England around 1361 and it was imported from Amsterdam so we get our hopped beer influence from the Dutch uh, and it was imported specifically into Great Yarmouth <laughs> um, yeah, in the mid 14th century but it doesn't really creep in until the 15th and 16th centuries in England and it didn't go down well initially. I mean, obviously, people were drinking it and enjoying it, but there was sort of a public outcry associated with it, I think mostly to do with xenophobia. Um, hopped beer was officially defined as beer, while ale was defined as malted barley drink with no hops. 
So ale was British off the and channel. no hops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was just that ale was sort of British and, and didn't have hops and beer was sort of foreign and did at that time. Which I think is funny because I, I think people would mostly think of it the other way around now, weirdly. Um, I think people think of ales as being bitter and hoppy. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't an official ban on hops countrywide, but it... it but individual cities and locations would ban it. <laughs> they weren't too keen until Henry VI, um, because he was a fan of hopped beer and so made sure that everyone was allowed to um, to brew it and it developed into uh, the tastes that we have now. It's the kind of king we want and need. Yes. I mean, this is why Shakespeare wrote three plays about Henry VI. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't, it was because of war. Uh, I thought I'd tell you one more thing. Uh, in my locale, obviously, I've always got to bring something of Southwark uh, to the podcast. And in this instance, it's the Hop Exchange. So in the early 20th century, when um, telephone exchanges were assigned three letters to identify them, the Southwark Exchange in South London was HOP, H-O-P. Um, <laughs> and that was because Southwark was the preeminent HOP marketing quarter. And that was because of its proximity to London Bridge, which had the main road going into Kent, where most of the hops were grown. So Kentish hops coming into London Bridge, they needed somewhere where they were going to sell them. And that's why the telephone exchange for Southwark is hop. Um, The purpose of the hop exchange then was to really give this sort of single market centre for dealers. It had a glass roof that allowed uh, business on the trading floor of the Great Hall to be conducted under natural light. Uh, There were similar floors for this kind of um, exchange with coal and metal and the stock exchange throughout London but because of wartime bombing and redevelopments and modernization the hop exchange is actually the only one that's still standing of the original ones there was a fire there in 1920 though which meant that the top two stories were removed uh, so it doesn't have that kind of original glass ceiling and it's been converted into offices as well now mm-hmm. so the council did try to kind of give it special mention in 2004 by applying for a blue plaque but it was turned down God, Henry VI would be furious. He would be absolutely livid. He'd be storming wherever the headquarters of the Blue Plaques are. <laughs> um, right, that's a bit of history. I've got a variety of additional facts uh, to throw <laughs> at you. <laughs> oh. So why do they use it? Brewers use hops for a few reasons. Mostly, I would say these days, it's the to provide that bitter counterpoint to the sweet malts. Uh, impart distinct flavours but as I mentioned before it is a preservative it does have antimicrobial properties and it also um, gives you a better head boosts the retention of the head <laughs> um, I mean we must have said that every other week and it's still funny <clears throat> it'll never ever get old boosting head retention <laughs> <laughs> um, it doesn't just get put in beer it gets put in herbal teas in soft drinks you can eat the flowers you can eat the young shoots Um, hops is actually very closely related to cannabis it doesn't have the psychoactive properties and THC but it is still associated as a sleep aid Um, the traditional wives tales are to store it under your pillow for better sleep Um, but you find even now a lot of herbal medicines which um, say they will help you with your sleep contain hops Um, there is a use that scientists are, are putting it forward to actually that's not that which is in hormone replacement therapy. 
and that's because it contains phytoestrogens uh, which acts like female sex hormones and can be used to alleviate symptoms of menopause sign me up as soon as i'm on the change she'll just get pissed every day just even more beer (laughs) (laughs) um right where do they grow so um hops are quite picky about where they grow they are divas uh, they prefer the 35th to 55th parallels of both hemispheres. They like long days, hot summers, and cold winters. They go into dormancy uh, period over the winter where they put all their energy back in the roots. I'm a hot. So... <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. You're finding a lot of, a lot of empathy for the hop plant. <laughs> um, so th- those regions, to be specific, they're... Um, the US, Pacific Northwest, England, Belgium, Germany, uh, in Europe, and then down in New Zealand, which is emerging more as an industry in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, speaking about places in the US, actually, it was originally centred around New York, um, around upstate New York, but they had an epidemic of um, mildew, um, which uh, sort of decimated them, and at the time as well prohibition was enacted so they perhaps didn't do enough to really save it and it sort of became a bit of a death knell for new york hop growing Mm. so if if it hadn't have been for the combination of disease and prohibition it probably um still would have been i think we mentioned how well hops grow before that um i think we gave an example not long ago of them growing up and down the side of a house instead of a trellis (laughs) but they do normally grow on trellises uh, uh, that go up to 18 feet in height they're very hardy climbers, which means that a lot of people think they're vines, but they're not vines, they're binds, which is not a vine with a cold. No, it's, it's um, a vine with a beer. It's not a vine with a beer or a vine <laughs> with a cold. Uh, no, so the difference is that vines climb by sending out tendrils or suckers that grab onto other things for support, and the bind will climb using its own shoot. So binds grow clockwise, always clockwise, around a support as it follows the sun across the sky. And they also have little downward pointing bristles on the shoot that help it um, keep upright as it climbs. And they can grow up to 12 inches every day. What? You can just sit there and watch it grow. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually quite freaky. Yeah, this is why it can bring down a tree. I think this is why they called it the uh, the wolf willow. Why has nobody done like a shit B-movie horror thing called The Binds? <laughs> I could absolutely see a horror movie uh, about hops taking revenge <laughs> on beer drinkers. <laughs> sort, of, <laughs> sort of boozy day of the Triffids. <laughs> um, breeding. So obviously you need male hop plants um, for breeding, uh, but when you see all the hop farms, they are all female. Um, and this isn't uh, this isn't a sexist thing. Uh, it's so <laughs> that they can make sure there's no genetic drift, so they can kind of keep control over the variety of hops that they have. Um, when they do breed them, they do it in like really controlled environments to test them out so they can find you know, preferable flavours. Um, but first and foremost, rather than the flavour, it's to make sure that it's really hardy. So it's resistant to disease, it's resistant to pests. Um, it, you know, this is something that you need to really look out for when you've got such a monoculture and things that you're growing. It can make them very susceptible. 
So they that's what they look for first and foremost. Um, hop breeding in the US is mostly financed by the Department of Agriculture, who began researching it in 1930. They released their first new cultivar, which was called Cascade, in 1972. Are you going to talk about Cascade at all? A little bit, but go for it. Nah, it's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll move on. I just wanted to... Uh, I'm not going to talk about it that much, there. to be fair. <laughs> Neither was I. I was just going to say what it, what it tasted <laughs> like and then it was used in Sierra Nevada, but I bet you will. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack on. Um... You can, it doesn't have to be under government control, you can obviously breed hops yourself, discover and propagate uh, a new cultivar, um, and you can license it. So all the famous kind of hops you know are licensed uh, with agreement to patent holding farms uh, before they're allowed to begin production with it. Um, for example, Elk Mountain, Elk Mountain Farms had to license Amarillo from Virgil Gamash Farms in Yakima Valley in order to plant it in their fields. Um, do you know how many different kind of um, flavours or compounds in hop oils uh, there are? I don't actually. They're so tests that I've done with gas chromatographs to sort of try and separate out what it is that makes hops taste hoppy found 400 different compounds in hop oils mm. um, and they each will affect the flavour and the aroma so it's not entirely understood how it all works together because there's so many. <laughs> um, it takes typically three years for a hop plant to reach full maturity in the field that means that it can be a bit tricky for farmers when they're planting it because they can't necessarily do it immediately for demand. They can't optimise the supply. Um, and it's very capital intensive as well, growing hops. Um, you've got to prepare the ground, you've got to put up the trellises, you've got the labour of um, you know cuttings and looking after them. It costs apparently around $68,000 to plant an acre of hops. Bloody hell. Um, so yeah it can be kind of quite risky in a way if it takes three years to mature you don't know what the demand is going to be by the time you get there um yeah so of course there are alternatives that you know perhaps some of the beer producers should be considering because i hear a lot of them whinging about you know not being able to get enough hops about the changing climate about the risk and all that sort of stuff but as i say it's relatively recent in terms of how we make beer to think that it needs hops in it um there are a lot of botanicals that have been used in different cultures over um, the centuries. Um, things like heather, juniper, rosemary, wormwood, henbane, dandelion, mint, bog myrtle. I think it'd be interesting to see more of a resurgence of um, alternatives to hops on the market. They do have a name, those. They're called Groots. I am Groots. I am Groots. Spelt G-R-U-I-T-S, <laughs> but it's pronounced Groots. <laughs> There we go. That's that's a sort of broad ranging overview of hops without getting too specific into any particular hop. Um, <laughs> is that a journey you want to take us on? Yes. And I think Bailey waited just for the end of your session there to start really snoring. So thank you, Bailey. <laughs> You've been good up until then. The shade of it. Um, but I want to talk about the hops of the world. So let's start with noble hops. 
Um, so as the name implies, these are hop varieties that are kind of considered quite old school. They're the earlier ones. Uh, they're the ones that the monks and brewers from continental Europe were using during the Middle Ages to flavour and preserve their fermented brews, as you did mention. So noble hops, they're from Germany and the Czech Republic, and they showcase soft aromas of floral to earthy and spicy. So let's get into them. Uh, my turn to butcher some pronunciation. <laughs> um, Halletau. So found in Bavaria in the southeast part of Germany. Halletau is located just north of Munich. Um, it's got a long tradition of growing hops. And Halletau hops date back too far to actually find their genetic origin. They are old. Um, Halletauer Mittelfruhe is the classic Halletau hop. But unfortunately, due to its susceptibility to disease, it was nearly wiped out. Um, according to the Oxford Companion of Beer, much better read than the dictionary, <laughs> uh, the Oxford Companion of Beer says that its acreage was reduced to just 1.5% of total crop um, hop acreage of Halletau by 1990. So it was almost wiped out back in the 90s, but thanks to the surge in craft beer and their need for quality aromatic hops, along with improved farming techniques, it's made a comeback. Um, so yeah, Halletau, along with its descendant, the tradition, Halletau tradition, uh, they continue to be the backbone of many Bavarian-style ales and lagers. Um, and it's the, the complex aromatics of earth, spice and citrusy nectar that means it'll often be added near the end of the boil or just after the boil by brewers. Ah, uh, yes. <clears throat> Next we have Zaz. Um, so if you travel northeast from Halletau, you'll cross the border into the Czech Republic, where just west of Prague and north of Pilsen, you'll find the well-known hop region known as Zatek. Zaz is the German name. Uh, this is home of Zaz hops. Uh, just like with Halletau hops, Zaz hops are often too old for geneticists to dissect the origins. Um, but because this re region was once part of the German Empire, they're still often considered a German noble hop. So we think they're around the same kind of date as the Halletau. Uh, Zaz hop aroma has come to define the aromatic profile of bohemian style pilsners. It's got a very spicy and earthy oil component. Also suffers from disease problems, but they have now developed disease-free clones, which have helped boost yields of the hop in recent years. Um, Spalt is another noble hop. Um, so just to the northwest of Hallertown, Germany, is the lesser known hop region of Spalt, according to my Oxford dictionary uh this region has been growing hops since at least the 14th century um it was the first region to receive the german seal of hop quality uh, these hops display a mildly spicy note and they're often associated with the hop profile of traditional dusseldorf altbeers um they are considered to be in the saz family of genetics when it comes to hops mm -hmm. Last one is Tetnanja. So if you travel southwest from Spalt, out of Bavaria and into the neighbouring German region of Baden-Württemberg, uh, it's in southwest Germany, <clears throat> you'll find the last noble hop region of Tetnang. 
So these hops have been cultivated here since about the mid-1800s, according to the Oxford Knock Dictionary Companion of Beer. Um, the namesake hop varietal takes the name Tetananger and is often considered a very close match to Saz hops in its profile. Although it can take on a slightly more fruity or citrus quality, depending on the growing and harvest conditions. Um, just like Spalt is from the Zaz family, and vice beers can often be found with this hop profile in them. So yes, very hoppy, delicious German and Czech Republic beers. Tick, shall we move to America? What, do you mean, like, literally, or are you just going to talk about it? Either or. I can, I can talk about it, but we can go if you want. I don't want to move there. Okay, let's talk about it instead. Sorry, sorry, um... sorry, US. Um, <laughs> no, no shade, I've, I've just got some stuff going on here. <laughs> <laughs> busy um so american hops are some of the most popular hops throughout the world um they stand up for the bold and intense tropical fruit stone fruit floral and pine flavors um the range of american hops is crazy so i shan't go into all of them <laughs> i'll just run through some big hitters um let's go alphabetically amarillo uh, Amarillo is one of the relatively new hop varieties. It was first produced by Virgil Gamash Farms in the late 20th century. Uh, it's become so popular among craft brewers because it's got a very fruity hop character. Uh, it's similar to Cascade, as you mentioned earlier. Um, it features strong fruity notes when used as an aroma hop, often described as tropical. Cascade. Well, before you um, move on from that as well, crucially, it was mm-hmm. so popular that um, Tony Christie sang a song about it. He did. It was specifically about that hop. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Is this the way to where the Amarillo hops are growing? Yeah. Um, Cascade, you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, probably the most popular American hop of all. And as you said, it's very well known for its use as a finishing hop in Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale and countless many other American eels. Um, it's got a distinctly spicy citrus character that gives it a very fragrant grapefruit note when used in later additions to the boil. Mm-hmm. Have you got any other bits you'd like to add to Cascade? No. No? No, I don't think so. There's I'll no, so- there's no song about it that I can think of. <laughs> Just, well, Cascada were named after yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie, I did think about it, but I thought it was too niche. <laughs> uh, I'll move on. Centennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally considered a dual-purpose hop, meaning it works well both in early and late aspects of the boil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a citrus and floral character that makes it work very well when combined with Cascade and similar hop varieties. If you'd like to try a Centennial beer, I found some great names of um, two beers made by Stone Brewing Company. Um, they do an ale called the Arrogant Bastard Ale, um, and they've got an IPA called Ruination. Well, I know I know which one we're both getting. <laughs> <laughs> when we move to what each? America. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, next up, Chinook. Uh, another duo purpose hop with a very piney and spicy note. Um, there's a quite a strong beer called Levitation Ale we, we can get from the same brewery uh, while we're there to try mm-hmm. Chinook. Um, Cluster is believed to be the oldest of all the American hop varieties still grown today. Another dual purpose hop with alpha acids in the mid-range. 
If you want to brew a pre-prohibition style American lager, Cluster would be a good choice because of the age. Columbus is um, a bittering hop, but it also works for later additions and dry hopping. You mentioned that you've got a double dry hopped beer mm-hmm. today, so is it Columbus? Do, do you know what? I don't know. I'll look it up while you tell the next bit. I forgot to, uh, forgot to write it down and I've already decanted. Um, while we're, um, we're paused, because you've mentioned kind of dry hopped and not dry hops. Do you, do you know what mm-hmm. the difference is between wet and dry hops? No, I didn't read into that. <laughs> I just thought I mentioned I was like, oh yeah, I didn't mention this either. And then it occurred no. to me because you mentioned dry hops. So wet hops are fresh. They're mm-hmm. not dried, right? When they're put in, so they have a different flavour to the dried hops. Most hops that you have in beer, though, are dried. So when they say dry hopped, it doesn't refer to them being dried. Dry hop mm-hmm. is when you add hops and you, you they normally get added throughout the process the brewing process at different stages but it's when you add it to cold beer so okay most people will put dried hops in while the beer is you know is boiling but when you're leaving it to ferment and it's gone cold and you put hops in that's dry hopping gotcha makes sense mm, it does <laughs> shall i continue with my american tour Yes, yes, please do. (laughs) Carrying on. Um, Last on my American list is Liberty. Um, I just wanted to mention this one because it's actually derived from the Hallertau strain of the German noble hops. So German influence on the Liberty one there. Um, It works well as a finishing hop in American style pilsners and lagers, unsurprisingly, given that it's uh, derived from German noble hops. Um, hopping back to England. See what I did there? <clears throat> that's that's as good as my outro this week. <laughs> Have you found out what hops you're drinking before I'm No, do you know England? what? I was just looking it up. All it says is New England. New England. Maybe it is Columbus then. So... I'm going to say it is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well done on drinking your double dry hopped Columbus beer. Yeah. Uh, English hops, uh, they tend to be grassy, woody, minty, earthy, and floral. Although they only account for 1% of the entire world's production, English hops do seem to be very popular and used predominantly. Um, they've got some great names as well, starting with Fuggle. Um, Fuggles... That's the one I put in my porter. Ah, is it? Yeah, pretty sure it was. Wow. Sorry, Karen. They are found in English porters. Um, They're an extremely popular and well-established English hop. Uh, They've been used since the 1900s, and they were named after a guy called Richard Fuggle, who introduced them after they were initially found growing wild some 10 years earlier. Uh, Fuggles were the dominant hop in the English uh, beers for some 70 years, and were often mixed with Golding's hops to produce the classic English ale. Until higher acid hops were produced and became more popular. The hop aroma is mild with a slightly floral finished and is commonly used in both bittering and finishing. They tend to be found in porters, milds and bitters. Um, Goldens, as I've just mentioned, um, these are a variety of hops that can be traced back to the UK as far as the 1800s. Um, they were known as East Kent Goldings, if they were grown in East Kent. 
anywhere else, they were just called Goldings. <laughs> For some reason, East Kent made a claim on theirs. They must have been really good. Well, I think, I think um, it's because Kent is so renowned for its hops that it, you get extra points if it's from Kent. <laughs> East Kent gold things. Um, varieties have increased over time and have slight regional differences, uh, but they're all a mainstay of traditional English brewing. Uh, the hops are known for delicate, smooth and slightly sweet, spicy finish. Um, varieties of these hops can be found in a full range of ales, pale ales, blondes, bitters, stouts, porters. They're really versatile. Uh, next up, Challenger. I think you'll probably have heard of this, but mm-hmm. if you haven't heard of it, I know that you drink it a lot because it's used in London Pride. Um, so these were developed in the early 70s, 1970s, and they can be used for bittering and finishing. Uh, it's very strong all-rounder that blends well with other hops and offers a spicy and fruity aroma. Um, they're more often used in quite traditional English bitters like the Fuller ZSB and uh, London Pride. Um, Bramblin Cross is a fun one, <laughs> but I wanted to talk about it because it was actually created by a professor at Y College. Um, and quite a few hops, when I was doing this uh, research, there were so many hops that came from this college. Um, so they had a section there, the Horticulture Research International, the HRI. They would often research hops, develop hops, and there is a number on this list that I was going through that just originated from there. Brambling Cross being one of them. So Professor Salmon at Y College. Um, it was created by him in 1965, and it's a cross between the Brambling Goldings, as I've just mentioned, a variety of the Goldings hop, um, they'd crossed that with a Canadian hop called the Manitoban hop. Um, it's a very fruity with a sweet vanilla and blackberry aroma, um, often found in porters and stouts. Um, it's f- used in a famous, infamous brew, um, the Tactical Nuclear Penguin by Brewdog, which is a very, very strong one. Oh, I've had that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a picture of my brother drinking that and his face says it all. um so yeah if you're curious anyone on what the brambling cross or the tactical nuclear penguin tastes like head down to brute dog um australian and new zealand hops are next on my tour and last on my tour Mm -hmm. uh they're relatively new they have a wide range of characteristics that are unique and stand apart from other varieties uh, lychee, melon, gooseberry, orange, lime, passion fruit, peach, just some of the flavours derived from their hops. Um, so some hops that are starting to make waves from this region are Nelson Solvin. So this is the most popular and most widely used variety of the New Zealand hops. Um, it's named for the town of Nelson, um, which is the epicentre of New Zealand's hop growing region. And the Sauvignon Blanc grape. So it's called the Nelson Sauvin hop. Mm. Um, the the hop itself is actually known for its kind of white wine influence that it can give to its beers. If you ever had a beer with Nelson hops in them, you'll probably remember it. <clears throat> um, the second most popular hop variety from New Zealand is the Motuica. Um, I hope I've said that wrong. I uh, hope I said that right. <laughs> probably said it wrong. Uh, Motuica. <laughs> Um, originally it was named the rather uninspiring SARS-B, 
Um, so I think they must have thought it was similar to the Saz Noble hop. Uh, probably realised that was a bit sounds, of a mistake. Saz B sounds like a disease as well. It sounds like a pet pandemic. <laughs> Saz B, yeah. yeah. I think they quickly realised and rebranded Motuica. Um, it's becoming a household name for many breweries in the US. Uh, tropical and citrus notes um, added by this hop work in a really good variety of beers, but it is mainly used in IPAs and lagers. Um, it's not a new variety of hop. It was released in 1998, but it has steadily started to grow in the um, US. And as a result, it's now the third most used hop from the South Hemisphere. Um, I was lucky enough to drink um, a beer with these two hops in. <laughs> I didn't actually realise it until I started um, researching this and doing the world tour and reading about all the different flavours. I thought, hang on, I think it was when I read, if you've ever had a beer with Nelson hops in them, you'll know about it. Mm. And I thought, I wonder. And so I quickly Googled a beer that I had recently and lo and behold, it had Nelson Sorvin and the Matuica hops in it. Oh. It was from, um, so I was down in Tenby. There's a lot, loads of tap rooms down in Tenby. Uh, one in particular, Harbour harbour tap room in tenby they make amazing beers and they've got a beer there called pia wanga uh, which means harbour beer in maori uh, <laughs> i know you're laughing because i said wanga uh, pia wanga means harbour beer in maori <clears throat> brewed by tenby brewing company and it uses the nelson Sauvin and maturica mm-hmm. hops and oh my god when i tell you it was delicious it really really was yeah, I'll, I'd, I'll try, uh, I'll try and source before. some. Yeah, I'll bring good. some up with me. Please um, do. Although, actually, I had some myself not that long ago from um, uh, the the Barrel Factory, which is a place near me that does lots, specialises particularly in wild yeasts and stuff. But I had one that was um, very much themed on white wine because not only did they use those hops, they also used um, Chardonnay grape yeast. Mm. Oh, that yeah. does sound good. Good. Oh, I just really want a New Zealand hot beer now. <laughs> um, We've done a good so selling yeah. job this week. We've convinced ourselves we to uh, go and have something differently hot. <laughs> um, so done New Zealand, I'll just finish up with Australia. So Galaxy is probably the most popular one yes. in Australia. Super, super sought after. Um, in fact, over a decade ago, a pound of Galaxy hops would sell for $3.00. Um, fast forward to today, and it's the most expensive IPA hop on the market. It's around twenty to thirty dollars per pound. Um, so yeah, that's a tough pill to swallow for lots of breweries that want to use Galaxy, but they paid for it because it's nice. Um, it's got this crazy burst of flavour and smell that's second to none. Um, lots of citrus, lots of tropical fruit. Yeah, it'll it'll take take over, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Vic Secret, um, this is another Australian hop known for its bright tropical character of pineapple, pine and passion fruit. Three great flavours. It was created in 2000, but it wasn't until 2010, after years of strong growth, that it was started to be introduced into brewery trials. Um, They found that it's lighter flavour, lighter than the Galaxy one. It paired perfectly with other IPA hops, so it is shooting up the list of... uh, Popular hops to pop in your IPA. Popular hops to pop is hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) Popular hops to pop in your IPA. (laughs) Um, So yeah, those are all the hops that are doing well. 
Um, further down into my research hall into hops, uh, I stumbled upon a German company called Bath House, um, based in Nuremberg. So they are the world's largest hop dealer with a market share of around 30%. Um, so they've been an important partner in hop growing and hop supply for almost 230 years. Um, and they've just become, as well as still dealing in hops and working with suppliers and growers, they're almost become like a just a trade union and source of information for anyone buying, selling, supplying, dealing hops. Mm-hmm. And so collectively, they're just trying to face up to the challenges of the day um, and asking hop producers and growers and users to trust in them. Um, they offer innovations, expertise and have their global position in the hop industry to try and support growers and customers um, to provide solutions and help them on their journeys. You may have guessed that was from their website. Um, I could never have, <laughs> never have guessed. <laughs> um, but interestingly, I found that every year Barthas compiles an overview report on hop, hop production around the world, mm-hmm. noting regional trends, production impacts, and lots more. They've been doing this report since 1870. Um, and it's pretty extensive. Um, so I presume I you've, grabbed... you've read them all and you're going to give me the highlights. <laughs> I read one and it was 40 <laughs> pages and it was intense and I've summarised it. And to be honest, I didn't find out all of that kind of very interesting and there wasn't that much great stuff to it. But I thought, I have sat here for two hours and read this 40 page report. I'm using it. <laughs> Prepare to be underwhelmed. Um, so... They look at, obviously, this is all global data. So they look at hop cultivation, hop production and beer production are the main kind of three statistics that they really look at. Um, Hop cultivation in area, um, year on year, it's pretty much stayed the same. So nothing exciting to report there. Um, Yeah, cultivation is still fine. Um, Hop production in metric tons has dropped, however by 18.5%. So that is something juicy to talk about. I will talk about that. Um, Beer production um, is up 1.3% from 2021 to 2022, which is great. I did find a graph in the report uh, that shows the beer production on a line chart for like the last decade. And it was interesting to see how it just kind of dropped off the face of the earth, obviously during the pandemic, when Mm. all the pubs were closed, it was just... Really sad to see the pre-production go back down. But this 1.3% increase year on year is almost put beer production back up to pre-pandemic. So mm-hmm. happy days. We're drinking again. Um, so yeah, hop acreage, like I said, nothing changed. Not interested. The big thing was the 19% down on um, volume harvested. Apparently, there's never been a greater percentage decrease in hop um, crop volume harvest in the entire post-war period. So everyone's like freaking out in the hop industry. Uh, and sadly, it's mi- the majority of it is to do with climate change <laughs> um, and, and like unfair and poor, just terrible weather conditions have meant that the yield has been really low. Um, so unfavorable weather conditions affected both of the world's two biggest hop producers equally in 2022. Average yield was 1.87 metric tons per hop 
hop acre <laughs> in the US. And over in Germany was 1.67 metric tons per hop acre. So similarly close together, but that is bad in the world of hops. And they've said the effects of climate change are becoming very apparent. The fluctuations in yield observed in the USA are historically unprecedented. Sad times. Didn't want to end on a sad note, so I delved more into the... uh, absolute page turner that was the 2022 hop hop yielding report Mm -hmm, (laughs) god there's mm -hmm. a mouthful um um basically hop producers and breweries are having to start to innovate and think outside the box um because of obviously climate change but also this year costs of energy raw materials everything soaring profit margins are shrinking um so appropriate actions being taken um including the introduction of cost-saving measures. Uh, No exceptions are being made for hop addition either. So with regard to aroma hop addition, there's a clear trend towards the greater use of high alpha varieties at the expense of aroma varieties. And also apparently lots of breweries are holding on to existing hop stock rather than kind of experimenting a lot more. But it just means that in the next couple of years, we should be seeing more experimental beers coming out, different flavours, different varieties. I think it's becoming too expensive for breweries to keep kind of sticking to the the same old and what they know is going to sell. They're going to have to get a little bit inventive and a bit more cost effective. And so some exciting new innovative beers should come. Yeah, I think it's a good thing to come out of adversity. As I sort of said when I mentioned the Groots, um, anything that relies any kind of industry that relies on a monoculture is going to fail eventually <laughs> so uh, it would be nice to see more varieties of, uh, of things on the market yes shall we do some world records well let's see i mean obviously we sometimes like to end on world records i'm gonna bet probably some money that we have found the same records oh i've got three so have i <gasps> okay would you like to go first okay <laughs> my first world record is the most consecutive bunny hops made on a unicycle okay great have you got have you got that no no go ahead. no oh okay uh so the world record is held by a mr cole patterson from the u.s it was broken in 2019 and he managed 439 consecutive bunny hops on a unicycle, which took him just under four minutes. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got unassisted uh, hops uh, records for you. Um, <laughs> the most hops over one leg in a minute is 42 mm-hmm. and was achieved by Himanshu Prajapati uh, of India. Mm-hmm. in January 2022 okay. and and I like uh, this next associated one so that was on one leg then the other is side to side hops I wonder <laughs> if that's a hop but there you go side to side hops in 30 seconds is 114 and that was achieved by Mohammed Shoaib of Pakistan in December 2022 and he beat the previous record for six hops but I just like the idea that there's um <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to be sensitive, a non-violent conflict between India and Pakistan, and it's about hopping world records. <laughs> <laughs> so the world should be. 
exactly. Did you have either of those um, two? I haven't. Okay, I've good. got um, the fastest time to complete five jumps or hops mm. by a rabbit. Oh. Mm. I just like the the kind of blurb that came with this more than anything. It really made me laugh. Um, so the fastest time to complete five jumps by a rabbit is 4.816 seconds and was achieved by Penelope Barrett, both, sorry, Penelope and Nicole, let's not forget Nicole, Penelope and Nicole Barrett, both in the UK. And this was done at the Bradford Premier Small Animal Show in Doncaster, South Yorkshire on the 18th of January 2020. Three rabbits were entered to attempt to achieve this record. Penelope, Bullseye and Big Ben. Penelope shaved off milliseconds from her competitor, Bullseye, whilst Ben Ben decided to lay on the floor instead of completing jumps. <laughs> yeah, good work. So, yeah, it was Penelope the rabbit and Nicole, her owner. <clears throat> nice. I'm surprised we haven't had any crossovers so far. Maybe this will be mm. the one. The world's longest hopscotch. <gasps> no, I haven't got that one. Yay, we found different ones. <laughs> so uh this spanned a distance of over seven thousand meters <laughs> it was created in colorado in the usa um in september 2022 so three three people three young men had to hop the course <laughs> to official for it to be officially adjudicated by guinness world records uh the, the guy didn't have to hop along with him. He rode a golf cart to confirm that there were no gaps in the grid. So they started hopping at 7.56am and it took them nearly two and a half hours to reach the finish line, taking breaks along the course to prevent injury. I think I'd still have been injured if I had to <laughs> hop for two and a half hours. Um, so it was uh, it was an organisation called Generation Wild. Um, they were uh, draw, drawing out the hopscotch course six days in advance using paint, uh, non-toxic paint, um, using 110 volunteers to have it ready for the day. And then <laughs> bad weather hit and rain washed out quite a large portion of the course. So they oh, had to... No. They had to get it together within 48 hours to um, repair it, and they did. They did manage to do it in time for the, uh, for the <laughs> record. But I have an issue with this record. I appreciate the fact that they drew out a hopscotch course that was over 7,000 metres long. But tell me this. How do you play hopscotch? I draw it with chalk. Yes, and? And? How do you play it? I don't fully hop the whole thing because you put your two feet down at the end and then you like jump around and then you do more hopping. Yes. So it's, I'd say. It, is there any I'd, other element to it? <laughs> I'm looking for something th specific. Well, yeah, you've got to like throw something to do the number of hops. Yes. I, yeah. I checked this on the official rules of hopscotch. You start with a stone or a stick or something and you're supposed to throw it onto a square and then you jump over that square and you pick it up on the way back. Yeah. My issue with this record then is how do you successfully throw a stone over 7,000 metres in order to consistently play <laughs> a game of hopscotch? I don't I think... think they did. I think they just jumped along a bunch of squares. Do you know we've said all along that we should do some world record attempts yeah <laughs> this could be our moment we can grasp them up we can say these are the official rules of hopscotch we could get that taken off them and then do it ourselves 
I still think you're missing the fundamental problem is that neither can we throw a stone 7,000 metres. Well, if there's no... Like, if if we get that taken out of the world records, then Mm -hmm. surely we can just rewrite a new one, like, longest game of hopscotch, and it's it's time rather than distance. And we just play hopscotch for two hours. I will support your decision to do that. I can't be asked. I didn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that was my my last one, and I, I had beef. My, uh, my last one's a little bit naughty because it doesn't kind of involve hops, but it was loosely related to the previous one I had, and it was cute, and it's all on a video. So it's uh, most tricks performed by a rabbit in one minute. Sadly, none of those tricks was a hop. <laughs> but he did, he did actually jump over an obstacle, which is kind of like a hop, I guess. Um, but the whole one-minute video is on youtube so you can watch it um tawi the rabbit from finland managed 20 tricks in one minute different tricks and these included spin around jump over the stick high five double high five pick a card from his owner's hand knock the bottle over nibble through a string he's a man of many talents and it's just cute it's a really cute video you couldn't do that in a minute i do not have the attention span to do that many (laughs) tricks in a minute all the skill (laughs) <laughs> so yeah look at Towie T-A-A-W-I the rabbit Excellent. one minute of loveliness to end your day I like how we picked six different Guinness World Records and not a single one of them t- was to do with beverages <laughs> <laughs> lazy are we Google world record hop <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> is that it? any closing thoughts uh, no none Absolutely no thoughts. And so, as usual. I, I, I promised you an excellent outro. Uh, here we go. I'm ready. And so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to hop down to the pub for an IPA. Cheers, everybody. Oh, we've been away for too long. That's the worst one I've ever written, isn't it? It has been too yeah. long. It was bad. I'm really sorry. Oh, sorry, everyone. I'm trying to Bye. think of a better one for next time. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> Bye. Wherever I'm <laughs>